Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Thursday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Got a loaded show for you today. We've got an A&M preview with Colin Brister as the Rebels um, really have everything to play for this weekend, um, from making the tournament to an outside hosting chance, as crazy as that sounds. Broke it down. Um, how this team got here, what to expect from Texas A&M, a couple uh, more boxes we'd like this team to check in terms of like the all the way back meter and uh, some other great stuff as well. I think I forgot to have us make picks, um, which I'm just now remembering. So I guess I guess no picks this week, but a good A&M preview. And then an extended soccer corner with Weldon Rodenberg. Um, we got into the final weekend of the EPL, who's getting relegated, which yo-yo clubs are going down. Um, the Arsenal – a debacle at Newcastle um, and Liverpool and Man City going down to the final day. So an incredible uh, real football conversation with Relton Rodenberg as this is where the uh, proverbial uh, boots meet the pitch. So uh, took a trip across the pond. Folks in the UK will love this podcast. So can't wait. Here we go. Uh, before we get to that, though, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. So the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. You need to check these guys out if you're in the wagering game. Just because March Madness is over does not mean Skybox is slowing down. They got the NBA playoffs package up. NASCAR is crushing it. All kinds of great stuff going on over there. If you're into wagering, they're going to have a picks package to fit your price range, whether it's month long, season long, and try it for a week, try it for a couple weeks. I'd recommend just going with the year-long all sports pass. It's going to pay for itself and then some. Uh, because that's what Skybox does. It's an investment. You're going to make more money because they are the professionals. They're going to lead you to profit more consistently than your own brain. But check them out. Whatever picks package fits your price range, you can even try them for a day. Um, go select it and then use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll let them know we sent you by getting 20% off any purchase. So check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com, the best uh, gambling handicapping website out there. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. You know the deal by now. If you're a Rippy Ride subscriber, that's rippyrides.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me a couple of times a week and discounted meats. Right now it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. It is prime grilling season. The weather's warm. Uh, all kinds of great sports on. You're going to want to throw something on the grill, watch the games, throw something on the grill from LB's because Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. All kinds of different cuts there, delicious sausages, seafood, all kinds of awesome sides. I love the filet burgers over there. All kinds of delicious stuff at LB's. If Greg doesn't have it, he wants to get it for you because he wants to make your grilling experience great. That's why it's become a staple of Oxford in the almost two decades it's been in business. Check him out. LB's University Avenue in Oxford. All right, here is Colin Brister on the eight. All right, we now welcome on Colin Brister, Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent. You, uh, you have a lot to live up to on this podcast. We, uh, we had an impromptu soccer corner with uh, Weldon Rodenberg before this. It demanded the people on the message board. Um, I, can't, I told Weldon I can't imagine when I asked him to do the football version of what you and I did last summer or in this year as well with baseball. I never envisioned him coming on just to talk soccer, but here we are. So, soccer corner spreading like wildfire. Do you have any EPL takes before we get started? Uh, e- EPL takes, no. Um, That's okay. I didn't, I didn't prep man, you. Man, 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 you sucks. But other than that, um, no, I used to be like a pretty decently uh, big soccer fan, but I just I don't have the time anymore. I'll get invested when America plays in the World Cup 
thank God we're playing in the World Cup. But I used to actually watch a decent amount of soccer, but I, I just don't have the time anymore. I remember that, actually. I'm pretty sure I, – I think I actually just gave credit for one of my college buddies, but I'm pretty sure you were the one that told me that Tottenham was like Ole Miss now that I think about it. Yeah, today. yeah. When I was trying to find that, I'm glad we discovered that. People are going to be listening to the last part of the podcast and be like, this kid contradicts himself more than I don't know what. Uh, but, yeah, it was you, actually, that told me that. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take the credit for that one. But, yeah, I used to I, – I mean, I still am, but I used to be a really, really big Barcelona fan. Okay. Um, but I, I just I literally don't have the time. Um, it's almost so, like when you get a job and responsibilities and stuff, the amount <laughs> of you can squash into your pallet TV while it shrinks, right? There's some, there might be something to well, that. It's it's that and, like, maybe the fact that I'm around sports every day for my job. So when I get home, unless it's Ole Miss or, or somebody that I'm invested with with Major League Baseball or in the NFL, it's like maybe I just want to watch Friends or something, you know? Yeah, throw on the office uh, for some yeah, – yeah, exactly. Just some mindless television for a bit that's not going to yeah. potentially make you angry. <laughs> it's um, like I've, I've, I've yelled at sports enough today. We, uh, we got a big weekend ahead of us. And I, I know I say this every time we do a show, but, <laughs> I mean, my God, when Ole Miss left South Carolina or Columbia – or not Columbia, Missouri, uh, Arkansas or whatever, I didn't – I was trying to figure out what in the world we were going to put in place of a show like this. But they have everything to play for this weekend <laughs> – um, I guess we'll start there. Super Talk Mississippi had on uh, – Richard and the boys had on uh, – had Kendall Rogers, and they wrote a breakout article uh, I saw that happened to come across my Twitter feed to where Kendall did say, hey, if Ole Miss sweeps A&M this weekend, they do have a chance. He actually said if they win the series – if I, I don't want to misquote him. Yeah. They will – and go on a crazy run and move, they'll have a chance. Now, look, I, as we outlined on Sunday, 15 and 15 – that would take something insane and some help. But the fact that – oh, go ahead. you think they actually could at 15 and 15? Well, all right, I'll say this. Um, do you remember what their record was in 19 when they arrived in Hoover? 16 and 14? 16 and 15 with a Governor's Cup loss. That's right. You're right. Uh, you're right. 16 so, 15. it would be 16 and 15 this year with a Governor's Cup win. I don't, I don't think that would go well for the Rebels as far as their hosting chances, but I'm not – they win the series this year – and they show up on Sunday to play in the championship game, I think it's a relevant conversation. Now, short of Sunday, I think it would – look, I think they have to leave Hoover with 20 SEC wins. Um, right now they have 14, so there has to be six more wins. That's a lot of work, um, but not impossible. I mean, we've seen this team play well in Hoover before. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird dynamic, right? Because, I mean, I guess, honestly, as we talked about this at the same time last week, like, right, best-case scenario last week in our minds was, hey, these guys really have turned around. They win two. That puts them in position for a huge series that we're talking about now to win two and to stamp their bid. But the fact that they swept it, again, the power of a sweep, as we keep talking about this year, it now puts you in this weird area to where – you know, they're probably in, barring getting swept this weekend and something weird happening. If they win two, they're still in, but, you know, that's... Unlikely. Yeah, it's basically just stamped it in stone that they're in, but nothing else. But then if they sweep, then it becomes a weird conversation. So it's like, hey, you've got 85% of the hay in the bar, probably close to 90 or 95 in terms of getting a bid. But, you know, if you do a ton more work, you can get a host spot. I don't know. It's just a weird place to be and never one I thought we'd be with this current uh, team, you know, for the last two months. But it is certainly possible. And, you know, to this team's credit, 
going from seven and 14 to having a national college baseball reporter was really my point in all this mention on statewide radio that, Hey, this team does have a chance to host when, you know, 14 days ago to the day, 15 days ago to the day, you were seven and 14 and wondering what the math looked like to get in Hoover is really a remarkable place to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good, uh, precise way to put it. Um, I thought this team was dead when they lost, left Fayetteville. And, and, and I, no, I'm not trying to take credit or anything because I kind of gave up on them. But I said all year it pissed me there's off how bad they were. Yeah, there, that's, oh, there's a run in them. And it just – and I ne- at, after the Arkansas series, I'm like, I guess there's not. Um, but I just wanted them to keep their head above water because I thought this would come. Um, but, again, I, after the Arkansas series, I never envisioned that it would come. I, I thought it was over at that point when you, when you leave as many base runners – um, and scoring position as they did during that series. It was just like, well, this team's doomed to fail. Um, but, no, credit to them, man. Um, I'll say this. They have gone from one of my least favorite Ole Miss baseball teams to watch to, if they continue this, one of my most favorite, simply because they just didn't quit. Um, there's some teams this year that have given up you know, when, when things didn't go their way. Um, and Ole Miss didn't want them, and that's a credit to a lot of people. It's credit to five. It's credit to that, that – that, uh, those veterans on that team, I think we gave a lot of hell, and, and maybe rightfully so, to, to some of those older guys on the team. Say, like, hey, at some point, like, take ownership of this crap. And I remember reading Chase's article after the game on Sunday at LSU, and they did. I mean, like, he, he, he talked about a, a meeting with Tim Elko and Ben Van Cleve and Brandon Johnson and some of the older guys, and they kind of hashed all this out and said, hey, this this can't happen. Um, and credit to him, man. It's a, it's a heck of a story, and, and, and quite frankly – if this team continues to play well, we can talk about hosting or whatever. I don't really care. If, if they play like this, they will be in a super regional. Because when their best, Ole Miss's best is a lot better than a lot of other people's best. And their best is probably a top 10 team in the country. Um, and a top 10 team in the country is probably going to win a regional if they continue to play like this. I think that's a, well, uh, a great way to put it. Their best is – you know, capable of being better and is better than a lot of teams best. And I think you're right. I think not that the hosting conversation is irrelevant. That's not the right way to say it. I'm right. not you did. I'm just like, I'm just talking out loud here. Like that's not necessarily the right, right way to frame it. Um, but like, it's not as big as it's been in years past. Like even that 19 team, I know they were playing well and they'd have probably been fine anywhere, but didn't it feel a little more important? It's like, God, can they just get to where they can host just because of what had happened? Yeah. Before, right. Um, this team, I, I feel it feels less relevant in that sense due to just honestly it being uh, that how well they're playing. And, you know, they're just coming off a road sweep where I'm with you. I, I think if they just continue to play well, I think they've been there's there's something to be I'll put it this way there's something to be said for your backs being up against the wall and playing yep. like that and should this team get in a regional which I think they will at this point they've been and honestly it may help them that they have the outside chance to host to where they still feel like every game is almost like an elimination type game because they know they have zero margin for error if aiming for hosting even if they end up as a two and a three seed somewhere I think there's something to a team despite them underachieving having entered the postseason playing three weeks like their lives were on the line, as opposed to a team that kind of coasted to a host or you knew they were going to be a two or a three seed all year to where this team, for various reasons, whether it was to get into Hoover, whether it was to get into the tournament, whether it was to become a host outside, very outside chance, has kind of played with their hair on fire knowing that, you know, 
tomorrow's not guaranteed type of thing for three weeks versus just doing it when you get in the tournament. Sure. No, that's a really, really good point. Because, um, look, man, here's how the tournament works. And, and I know this is simplistic and everybody understands this, but you are, you are one loss away from playing for your season at all times in the tournament, if, if that makes sense. And so it's a quick turnaround for teams that have not had to play games that kind of decided their fate, right? Um, I kind of think if you, if you remember, like, last year with Florida, it's like they lose that game to a four seed, uh, South Florida, and then all of a sudden, 24 hours later, you're, you're a national seed. Your season's on the line. Um, and you don't show up against South Alabama, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, this ended in 24 hours. Um, so, no, that's a really good point, that, that these guys have kind of felt that pressure and felt that they've got to go get it done or their season's going to be over every single day. Uh, for a while now, that when they maybe get a chance to just get in and take a breath, that God, God forbid, if they keep playing that well and 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 are as loose as they are uh, right now in in the postseason. Yeah, it's almost like we asked for a month and a half or so where their sense of urgency was, and then we got it, and like it, because it absolutely had to, just from a sheer mathematical perspective. And now you get it, and like it's almost like it's there to say. I think that's a good point the way you outlined it because I think a good example is like the 18 team. They never had any real pressure until one Monday afternoon in May, right? And, and here's what sucks about that team: if that team, if that game happens on Sunday night and they get to go to bed and yes. play again on Monday night, they'd wreck Tennessee Tech. I think I'm with you on that. It it, it certainly makes a difference. I, I'm with you there. Um, and so that's what kind of stinks about it. Like, not stinks, it does stink for that team. But that's kind of the weird dynamic in this weird sport, as we figured out with this group this year, is like that there's something to be said for that. And so regardless of what happens this weekend, look, I think you want to win the series. I don't think you want to enter Hoover going sure. you know, losing the series or whatever. But as long as they're entering the tournament, like even if they bow out and they finish it, they win two uh, games this weekend or something, they finish the 17-18 SEC wins. As long as they're playing good baseball – I think that's really kind of what matters with this team over the next week and a half for two weeks. It's, you know, we talked about the intangibles this past week where it was like, yeah, the numbers are better, but how they look putting the fear of God in opposing pitchers for the first time in what feels like forever, maybe the first time this season, I think, you know, results aside, hosting aside, I think that's an important aspect of just, can they continue to play a good brand of baseball? Cause that doesn't necessarily yeah. win every game. Do they lose a three, I don't know, five to three game or something this weekend because, I mean, I was about to say Micah Dallas, that'd be the wrong example. Uh, Detmers or whomever is yeah, really good. Is really good. And they lose a tough one in Hoover and they just fall short of the hosting or whatever the case may be. It, 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 like that matters little more to me than the fact that they're just still playing a good brand of baseball. Can they continue sure. to play well all the way through? And, and, and here's reality, and, and you haven't seen it the past two weeks and it's kind of hard to – there have been good Ole Miss teams in the past that played well from – of the beginning of the season to the end. And, and I don't remember any of them going 30 and up. You know what I mean? Like, Ole Miss could play well this weekend against a good Texas A&M team, and you could come out with one or two wins, quite frankly. Yeah, um, sure. You know, so it's not necessarily at this point, yes, you have to win at least one more baseball game, I think, to get into the tournament. Um, but it's not necessarily so much of, hey, did they win or did they lose? And obviously, look, WNL, that's the most important stat. But it's, hey, like you said, are they playing good baseball still? Because if they are, even if you drop two or three, or even if you go two and two over the next four games, that's all that matters when you show up in, you know, Charlottesville, Virginia, or Hattiesburg, Mississippi, or whatever in two weeks. All that matters is, are you playing good ball? And, and hopefully for this team's sake, they are. Look, it, I think, quite frankly, if they play good baseball, I think they're going to win two this weekend. 
And do you go on a little bit of run at Hoover and get your name into the hosting position? It'll be tough. But but I want to personally, I want to see this team play in Hoover for a while, regardless of the hosting situation, if they were to win two or three this weekend. I just want to see this team play good baseball because it kind of feels like for what, 14 weeks or, or whatever, uh, not quite, or maybe 12 or 11 weeks that we've been robbed of seeing this team good play, play good baseball. So the, the more good baseball I get to see this team play, the better, especially, you know, heading into the postseason. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And it's another part of it, too, is like, can I see how real this Drew McDaniel thing continues to be, right? Can yeah. I see him pitching a game that matters in Hoover? Um, and I guess we should talk about that. Yeah, and pitch well, so, right? Like, because, I mean. Well, I was talking them. about canceling Arkansas State. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, we'll get to that. I probably buried the lead on that. We probably should have started with that. But, you know, I don't have exactly a manuscript I send you on these podcasts. But, <laughs> no, you're right. But, like, I kind of want to see uh, like Drew McDaniel pitching a game that matters. Like, if they, if they are in that outside hosting conversation at Hoover, like, can I see him pitch a – I don't know what the order would be, but just making Saturday it, game or, yeah. Yeah, like a Thursday game or a Wednesday game or something that matters. I don't know what it would look like. Like, I just kind of want to see them continue to play well in scenarios that really matter because last weekend all three games really mattered, right? They got their work done the first two. It was like kind of mission accomplished, but hey, you can really change things and really kind of break down the door of that at-large bit if you win. And to their credit, they did for the first time um, all year. Let's uh, let's transition though real quick to the uh, Arkansas State part of it. So I was, uh, I had a 7 a.m. meeting at work on Monday, so I didn't post our pod until lunch on Monday which I guess kind of be, was fortunate in some sense because I got to be able to go to the top of the podcast and say, hey, we debated the midweek thing. Um, we thought they'd play it. It was announced they didn't, like, whatever. But I don't think it changed. They at least set the record straight. Um, I think it was the right decision. I, th- I saw sure. it through – I say criticism. It's just random people on the internet. But I think it was the smart decision. And I, I don't want to say I was surprised, but I was mildly surprised that – uh, Mike did that instead of just go through with it, maybe. Like, I, mean, I don't know. It kind of raised an eyebrow. I, did, I don't know. If it was other coaches, other managers, I wouldn't have been surprised at all. I would have been surprised if they'd gone to play it. But with Mike, I was kind of like, oh, he actually did it type of thing. That makes sense. So, let me ask you this. We, we've talked about Mike and him being a different cat than he was five years ago uh, or six or seven, whatever. Does 2015 Mike do that? What, 2015? Yeah, the, the 2015 Mike canceled his baseball game. Oh, oh, yeah, no, no, he did it. Oh, he won. He didn't. I don't think it was the exact. Well, he had, well, he had to go I don't win think, that game. Yeah, I was about to say. I don't think he does. To, to answer your point, no, I don't think he does. Yeah, no, I, I think a lot I of think, things about Mike that you can answer that way, and we've done them before on this podcast. It's a good point. Um, no, good on him. And, and look, I can get the criticism of, hey, you schedule the game, go play it, and all that. But man, when you schedule the game, you didn't know Arkansas State was going to be a, an abomination of a baseball team. You didn't. You thought they'd be their regular 180 RPI, that if you, if you won the game, you, you, you weren't going to fall. And if, if you lost, well, that's on you. Um, but but to play a baseball game in May when you're kind of sort of, not really, but kind of sort of on the bubble um, where the RPI is going to drop two spots from just playing the game and you're going to have to play it on the road and God forbid you lose. Um, no, look, this, this is about making the NCAA tournament. This is not – uh, the bastion for integrity and morality and all of that. Um, this is about getting a team into the NCAA tournament. That is Mike Mienko and Keith Carter's by proxy job. And and they did what it took to, to put themselves in the best position to make the NCAA tournament. It was absolutely the right call. And um, I have zero issues with it. Now, some people want to debate the, the, you know, relevancy of the RPI and what that means as far as the selection committee, then I'm willing to have that debate. 
Um, but when it means what it means, then there really wasn't a decision for Ole Miss to make. This was what they had to do. Yeah, you're exactly right with that. And that's the part that no one talks about is, one, no one's harmed in this, as we pointed out on Sunday. If there are any sort of financial obligations, I don't know what the financial dynamics of Ole Miss in Arkansas State playing a you know de facto home-and-home, home, whatever you want to call it, for baseball is. But if Arkansas State's owed any money, Ole Miss is not screwing them out of like cash or no. anything. Um, I don't know what the gate revenue is um, for a Tuesday game in Jonesboro, but I would venture to guess Mike could cover that with whatever's in his wallet. So I don't think that's a big, big deal. No, no, no one's harmed by this. Is it the, is it the most sanctum? Like, is it the most, um, is it a move that like jives with the competitive spirit of competitive sports? I just like, that was a, not even a double negative, but that was a bad, like, is it, is it, is it in line with the competitive spirit of what sports are supposed to be about? I mean, no, but that's not the fault of Ole Miss or any team. That's right. the fault of whatever you know, idiot decided that the RPI was kind of your sole metric. That's not on anyone else. Your job is no. to make the yeah. state tournament, as you pointed out. And then the other thing I'll say about it, as I mentioned on Sunday, is you think Arkansas State's really that pissed about it? They're 11 and 35. Do you think, They're ready for this to end. Yeah, you think the third baseman wanted to go outside, out there and scratch his nuts for three hours as Ole Miss won 11 to four? Um, and, you know, you say, you say that and, like, they canceled the game. I guess it kind of signifies fear in some way, even though I don't really buy into that theory. But, like, it just – I don't think Arkansas State turned by it. I don't think they were – I don't think the Red Wolves were dying to get revenge from the earlier game this year against Ole Miss. Um, oh, they have nothing to play for. They can't make their conference tournament. And someone that has played, you know, and look, obviously, I didn't play D1 baseball, but as someone that was on two bad high school teams, at this point of the year, if you have nothing to play for, you are ready for this to end. And, and, and no, Arkansas State's players are not. Maybe, maybe one or two guys are pissed off that they lost out on one baseball game in their career, but you're going to get three more this weekend if you're Arkansas State. Like, like come on. So, no, I, I highly doubt uh, whoever plays shortstop or left field for the Red Wolves is overly pissed that Ole Miss is showing up to play on a Tuesday night. Yeah, it's another great point. Like, they didn't ruin senior day or anything like that. That would be kind of funny, though, if Mike was like, oh, this is y'all's last home game. This is your senior day. Nope, no thanks. Like, you know, save the ceremony. Um, <laughs> Mike was probably like, I already did senior day. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, no one's harmed in it. Um, I think it was much to do about nothing. As I pointed out again, I think we're reiterating a lot of what we talked about, but it doesn't matter. Um, this also is not a new phenomenon, right? It's just, it's been happening for years. It just, no coach has said the quiet part out loud. And honestly, I kind of commend Slashnagel being like, look, we don't want to go play it. If they're going to make us go you know, strictly off RPI, like that's why we're doing this. It felt like they've done it. Teams have done this in the past. They've done it subtly. We just haven't had a coach that's come out and said, yeah, we're not playing this for RPI purposes. And that kind of ruffled some jimmies of kind of your more old-fashioned fan base. It's basically what I gathered this to be. So, so what you're saying is uh, Ole Miss should be thankful for Jim Schlossnagel because there's no way this happens if he doesn't do that. Does it – that's an interesting – No, there's no way. You don't think it happens if Jim doesn't no, do that? No, I, I think they play the game. I don't think Ole Miss was going to be the one that jumped in the water. That's interesting. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. I just – I don't think they were going to be the one that jumped in the water. Well, we had a listener tag me. They forgot to tag you. Monkeypox was now in America. It is now actually in America. A guy oh. tested positive for monkeypox. Is that close enough in proximity? Is that a close contact? Well, I bet he's been to Jonesboro before. That's or close big, to it. That's what I'm saying. So, um, I mean, that's interesting. I'd have to think about that a little more. I'm not saying you're, you're wrong by any stretch. Um, 
honestly, you're, you're probably right. I guess the more I think about it, like Mike's not going to be the one to make the headlines by doing it. Um, yeah, I, I guess I don't really have any real argument with that. So congrats to Jim Slosser. Do, do they give him a plaque this weekend for his honesty? Well, Mike and, and Slosser are like best friends. Um, oh, yeah, no, they, they are close friends. Um, he and uh, – honestly, he, Mike and Van Horn like each other too. I feel like there's this narrative out there that they – I did not know that. From everything I've gathered, they, I don't, no, I don't think they're the chummiest of friends, but I think there's a healthy respect for them being around a lot. I don't think there's any animosity towards them too at all. I feel like that's kind of been a narrative in the past. Maybe I have that wrong, but from everything I've heard – who does Mike not like in the league? Do you know anything like that? Oh uh, yeah, I do. I am uh, fairly confident Mike and Tim Corbin are not faster friends. Um, okay, that makes sense. Outside of that, man, there's been so much turnover. Uh, O'Sullivan. You know, I don't know. It's not that they don't play them enough. I just really don't know Fair on enough. that one. Um. I think I know Mike, him and Lemo are pretty close. They're not close, but they like each other. Yeah, I think they like each other. And I think Mike and Cohen are two hard-nosed guys, but respected each other. Is always yeah. Co- I Cohen, I know, likes Mike. I don't yeah. know the other way around. Yeah, no, I think it's the I think it's it's mutual there. And then honestly, when you go to the rest of the league, it's uh, there's been so much. How can you dislike Butch Thompson? He does or does not? No, I was, I was going to say like, how could you dislike Butch Thompson? Yeah, no, that is also league. very true. Um. But outside of that, there's been so much turnover. I'm not sure there's like any other. I mean, I don't. I I don't think if you got Mike and Tony Vitello in a room together, they would. No, talk. that wouldn't go well. But I don't think there's enough. There's Any sort of animosity. So, but yeah. Anyway, um. But yeah, Slosh was pretty honest about it. So I don't think anyone is uh, is harmed in this uh, ordeal. I you know Mike used to have. I never forget this. I was at a practice one time. Mike has tell the truth Mondays maybe. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. No, no, Motivation Mondays or something. There's like, they have a tell the truth Monday. something. It was because I'll never forget one time I was sitting at a practice and Nick Fortes was late because he had a test that ran over time. And <laughs> he walked out on the field and like Mike was like, where were you? He's like, sorry, I was taking a test. And Colby Wardles goes, nerd, like as loud as humanly possible. <laughs> and Mike said something like, hey, it's like, Positive Monday or Tell the Truth Monday or something, and Wardle just goes, "Nerds are cool." I was calling him a nerd. So I don't know what that nerd. is. That was a completely uh, random tangent of just standing outside of Swayze Field. Wasn't there time. like some with that team like a big fight over Cooper Johnson's canteen? I'm pretty sure there was Cooper Johnson had a canteen that uh, they stole and pissed him off. Uh, that might have been the case. Cooper Johnson was a guy that. So I talked to uh, Dillard about that one time to where, like, you know, they're really close friends now. But I think – Yeah, they weren't. Yeah, they didn't really like each other. Cooper was kind of like your hard-nosed Midwest guy, a little bit different. And I don't think really people got – I think a lot of those guys didn't understand Cooper Johnson at first. And then once they understood his backstory and where he came from and all that, it was like, oh, actually, this guy's kind of awesome. He's just different type of thing. So I could see them – I could see like someone taking his canteen to screw with him and him just not being about it. Like <laughs> that, that not, that is like, not, I heard, I'm him. pretty sure I heard the story that someone's took his canteen and he, and it was like on picture day and they absolutely, he absolutely refused to go take the picture until somebody gave him his canteen back. I, I could see that being the case. I, I don't <laughs> know the validity of that story, but I, I'm, I, I'm definitely, uh, definitely not doubting it. Um, I, I, I could see how that would be the case at all. Oh, oh God. All right, anyway, getting back to it, let's just go straight to AM now. AM's sure. one of the hottest teams in the country. Yep. Um, 
they are playing really good. They're 17 and 10. They're doing this really mostly offensively, right? They had Detmer that's pretty good, really good on Friday. But they've kind of had some struggles on the back end of their rotation. Yeah. Uh, you know, you had they, it felt like they stuck with Micah Dallas for as long as possible. But the last three weekends, it got to the point where it was like, awesome. we can't stick with him. We got to go with someone else. Um, they're really good. And this is going to be a test for the Ole Miss pitching staff. But if you're looking for like an optimistic view at Ole Miss is, the A&M pitching staff seems gettable. Look, Detmer's going to be really tough on uh, Thursday night. But outside of that, it seems pretty gettable. Yeah. I actually kind of have the utmost confidence the Ole Miss pitching staff to hold up um, decently well again. Or the Ole Miss yeah. offense, actually, I should say, at this point. I'm curious to see how this Ole Miss uh, pitching staff holds up against this A&M offense because right. this is a team that hits gets on base a ton. They don't strike out a ton. But they also don't hit the ball over the fence a lot. They keep the ball in the ballpark, but they're kind of devilish to deal with. So, you're right. Dumbers is really good. and But for the first time all year, I'm willing to kind of acknowledge this. So was Ole Miss's dude on Thursday, you know? Yep. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a really good series. I think, if I'm honest, I think Ole Miss is the better baseball team. Um, but doesn't mean a whole lot right now. It's, it's how well you play. And, both teams are playing extremely, extremely well. You know, we talk about Ole Miss sweeping and, and getting themselves into the host um, potential. I will say this. If Ole Miss were to sweep this series, they will have earned it because A&M is a really, really good baseball team and is playing really, really well, and I do not see them sweeping this series. Um, I go back and forth over whether I think they win it or win one. I don't, I don't think I particularly see either team sweeping this series or really coming close to that, if I'm honest. I think this is going to be three really hard-fought games um, and really close games. And for the first time all year, as you said, I actually think Ole Miss is equipped for it. It goes back to some of the intangible stuff we talked about earlier, but, like, I would actually feel fairly confident in Ole Miss um, in a close game uh, late. I would feel confident in the offense. I would feel confident in their bullpen. That doesn't necessarily mean I think they're going to win in each scenario if it's a one-run game in the seventh inning of all three games or something like that. But it just goes to show – you know, four weeks ago, if it was – if you told me every game went 5-3 in the eighth – or that's nah, not a good example uh, – 4-3 in the sixth, Ole Miss is ahead in one and behind in two or vice versa, I'd be like, oh, they go 0-3. Yeah. <laughs> and now I don't really feel that way anymore. Well, yeah, go It ahead. just kind of feels like – no, I was just saying, it, it feels like – you remember what we said, bad teams find ways to lose? Well, yeah. It kind of feels like they're finding ways to win now. Um, it kind of makes them a good team. I don't know. It, 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 they used to find ways to lose, and now they're finding ways to win, which is impressive considering that it's the same team that it was a month ago. Yeah, it really is. Um, what, one thing we haven't seen them in since this win streak started is a really, really tight game. You kind of got that a little bit in the, uh, in the opener against um, LSU. But well, the opener against Missouri was pretty close. Yeah, that's true. That That's a good point. And they did come back and win that one. So you've kind of had a little bit of a taste of it, but I'm kind of, I kind of like, not that I'm, I'm I almost feel like I'm backtracking. I kind of want to see what Ole Miss does if they're down four, three in the eighth and say they've taken game one yeah. and they're down four, three in the eighth in game two. Like, can they, can they finally will their way to a win? If that makes sense, instead of like preserve a lead type of thing I kind of want to see I don't, I'm not saying I lack confidence in them I'm just kind of curious to see like if that scenario holds true what they do because well, obviously in the weeks before you had a history of them it being close but no cigar in almost every scenario well I, I will say this if, if Ole Miss like wins on Thursday and finds itself down four to three in the eighth on Friday night 
um, and somehow comes back and wins this game. Like I, I'm pretty sure this team is back at this point. But if yep. that were to happen, God, for look out because <laughs> they're coming at that point. And then the final check box, and I know it's yeah. like, like we talked about last week, right? I need to see more than uh, Missouri and um, Southern Miss, right? Like I, I'm on the verge of buying back in. And then, you know, by all means, like I'm bought back in on this team having a chance to make a run. I think everyone is at this point. But like you said, all the way back, right? Isn't that the final check box? What happens if they've had a kind of a, a shit night for six innings? Right. If they're in a 4-2 game. Can they will their way to like three runs in the eighth or three runs in the ninth or something like yeah. that? I think that's a great way you put it. Like it's it's the final check box of like, okay, this team is really firing on off cylinders and they're all the way back. Now look, well, and, and that's when if they are to do that, you know what they would remind me of the twenty twenty one Ole Miss baseball team, which we kind of thought they were going to resemble most of the year outside of obviously the the two losses. But as far as an offense goes. They're able to, to figure out a way to re- erase lead late in the game. Um, they're essentially the 2021 offense at that point. Oh, yeah. No, I'm with you there. I think that's a, uh, I think that's a really great way to, uh, to encapsulate it as well. And, like, look, it's not like some binary thing, right? If they're, if they're down 4-3 sure. in the eighth in game one or game two and they end up losing the game, that doesn't mean, like, oh, this is fraudulent or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, if you kind of have that kind of character win – where you pull out a win where you play like shit and it doesn't really make sense type of thing that's when I'm like okay this team is like like this is really really different and like I, I don't know that would just kind of show me one more thing and kind of check off one more box um which I'm fascinated to see because I do think they'll kind of have that opportunity this weekend I'm not necessarily forecasting they will you know be ahead or behind by one run in each in any of the games I don't know necessarily how it's going to go I think it'll be close but I think that I have a feeling that opportunity will kind of present itself this weekend and I'm fascinated to see how they handle it I think Ole Miss yeah I think that's completely fair because I'll be honest I think Ole Miss wins tomorrow night um and and then Friday and Saturday or be what they may um but I, I do feel pretty confident that this is weird. This is the I would have if you'd have told me I felt like this eight weeks ago. I'm like, what the hell happened? Um, but I feel pretty good that Dylan Belushi is going to take the ball at Swayze tomorrow, um, and he's going to shove, and Ole Miss is going to score enough against Detmers, and they're going to win the baseball game. And and then the weekend just kind of sets up after that if, if if that is to happen. Well, I mean, not to jinx it, but the next Delusia start loss would be the first one. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so he's really good, and I haven't got to see him pitch this year, which is kind of weird. But I am—I'm actually going to get to go tomorrow night, so that'll be, uh, be the first time I get to see him pitch. It's—it's it's a very bulldogish approach. I mean, I know you've seen Delusia pitch this year. I know you didn't mean that, but it is very. Well, I'll be completely honest with you. I haven't until last weekend. That was the first time last weekend I've actually got to see him live throw. So, yeah, um, very bulldogish mentality for sure. It's kind of vintage. Like it's 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 nothing that blows you away. It's just that fastball that guys can't seem to figure out. And then he changes his finger pressure. He constantly wills himself to outs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The the finger finger pressure changing. Uh, Changes it up. Yeah. Like is he like the Bryson DeChambeau of baseball? I don't think. uh, I don't think he's proclaiming to be some sort of physicist or something. It is fascinating, but it's it's a lot of fun to watch. I kind of with you. I think they went on Thursday too, but at the same time, like, man, if you went on Thursday, 
A&M's kind of a question mark. I mean, A&M literally uh, is going Detmer, TBA, TBA. Oh, are they really? Wow. Yeah, no, they announced that earlier today. They go TBA, TBA. Now, I think you're going to see the Prager kid at some point, the guy that they've kind of had going out started, uh, Saturday and Sunday, uh, kind of rotating back and forth. All righty. Uh, yes, I believe okay. so. I will have to double check that. Um, I, I, I can in good faith at this point, given the way it's gone. I, I don't think you see Micah Dowis start. I don't know if they use him. No, in- no, he didn't start last weekend against State. No, and so I, I think you'll see probably Ryan Prager, and then I don't know. I think they had Tucker Wyatt last weekend. I to be honest, I I, I didn't know that kid existed. I don't know much about him. I think that was his first start of the year. Um last year so excuse me last week so we'll see but you know A&M's been playing well and they're one of the hottest teams in the country and I'm not taking anything away from what A&M has done but they have that big series win at home against Arkansas and then they go on the road and beat Vanderbilt but since they really kind of had to start figuring out the rotation their two series have been South Carolina and Mississippi State now like Ole Miss didn't beat South Carolina like you get you get my point there but I guess what uh I guess what well, and, and, and South Carolina had a beat on Saturday. They were up like eight, and, and A&M came back. So, um, yeah, that's the, not two great series wins for sure. Uh, no, exactly. And so, like, I'm not saying – look, I'm not – they're one of the hottest teams in the country. I'm not necessarily saying they're, like, vulnerable. But, like, I don't think they played anyone as good as Ole Miss since they were uh, – since, what, that was April 22nd weekend. They had a huge home win series against Arkansas. Against yeah. Arkansas. Now, look, beating Vanderbilt and Nashville, that's never easy to do by any stretch. Vanderbilt's figuring out a little sure. bit. But I guess the point being is, I mean, look, last week, it's hard to sweep, but am I allowed to say I'm not that impressed with the state sweep? Like, that, that team seems no. like they're down. Yeah, they you're uh, they did. North Alabama last night. Well, no, I mean, look, it's not a stand to be down to North Alabama. No, it is not. That is <laughs> – some teams go down to North Alabama for the full nine innings. Just yeah, yeah, you know. Absolute junk. a good team. North yeah. Alabama beat Alabama this year. Facts. They did. Really? Yeah, I was looking at that last night when State was down four to nothing. I'm like, how? And then I went and looked at UNA's schedule. I'm like, oh, they beat Alabama. Yeah. Oh, wow. that's how. Um. So, anyway, I don't know. It's going to be a really, really fascinating um, series. But I guess my point being is like, this will be their from a pitching staff standpoint. Ole Miss, it's crazy it is to say it, like that'll be one of their better offensive tests they face since they've kind of had this instability in the rotation. Um. I think they're a team that probably needs – they have national seed aspirations, but it feels like they probably yes. would need to figure that out before they get to the postseason because I'm not sure how sustainable that is, um, just kind of rotating guys in and out as your second and third guy. But I guess if you have the stability of a guy like Detmer, it doesn't matter as much. But it's fascinating to see a team playing this well still have that kind of rotating door on the back two, three slots in its rotation. Yeah, no, that's a really good way to put it. Um, no, it's definitely a team that's got a chance to, to host Super Regional. And, um, you know, they probably need – look, they need two as bad as Ole Miss needs two this weekend. Um, you know, so it's uh, it's going to be definitely a good series. I say Ole Miss needs two. I think, quite frankly, Ole Miss needs one more win and they will be in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think I'm with you there um, for sure. I think that's enough, uh, particularly with the way it's gone. So Ole Miss, I checked it this yesterday, but I haven't checked it since. I don't know why it would have changed today. Uh, they were 37th in the RPI. Yeah, uh, there were literally no college baseball games today, so there should be no movement. That would be impressive if there was. That would be impressive if it was. Um, A&M offensively, as I kind of outlined earlier, they 
they they really really good. I mean, look, you're talking about seven regular starters. Um, look, they played 48 games. They got seven regular starters with 46 hits. That's usually a pretty good ratio. They have six with 55 hits or more. They're they they will not get cheated on in it bad. They don't necessarily have the the firepower to hit the ball over the fence a lot, but man, they'll turn a four or five run inning on you before in a heartbeat because they also walk a ton. They lead the league. Hey, is walk. Bryce Blom still there? Bryce Blom, there's no way Bryce Blom is still there, right? I, I don't think he can. Be. No, he, he's he's not. Um, um, Jack Moss is there. Jack Moss is there. Remember, he, do you remember Jack Moss? I do. He uh, the, he uh, he uh, he hit a really fairly big grand slam last year that sent this podcast into a tailspin. No, 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 no. That was Will Frizzell. Um, oh, that was Will Frizzell. Yeah, Jack Moss is the kid from Arizona State that Ole Miss could have gotten had yes. the, the the week uh, that Bianco interviewed from LSU not going that down is, that way. Dude. I forgot about that. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Then they could have. Uh, now he went with I think his coach that was at Arizona State went to A and M, and he was probably always going at that point. But Ole Miss had a real real shot at that kid. He was really good. Moss was the kid that was on campus while Mike was allegedly. Pretty sure that's right. Yeah, not not. Not great. I forgot. I, I don't know how I got that mixed up. Will Frizzell, he is not back. That's good news for Ole Miss. That uh, that A and M series last year about did me in, especially considering it was two weeks after Mississippi State. I think, yeah, that one uh, that one about did me in that series last year. It's a decent amount of portal guys for Slosh this year too. Look, I, that that, that should be had to be the slot. The job that that guy's done in year one. Yeah, is that we're entering the final week of the regular season. A and M's ranked fourth in the country and probably in the driver's seat for a national seed. Um, I thought we thought they'd finish last in the West. Did we not both pick them last in the West? Yeah, yeah. No, Slosh built it on the portal, and credit to him, he's killed it because that team last year stunk. I know, they they, I know, they took two from Ole Miss. They were horrible. Um, yeah, they were bad, and and he. Look, that's the that's the power of the portal, right? So, look, I don't want to talk about you know Ole Miss his future too much right now, but uh, people are saying it's like, oh, uh, if if Bianca were to leave to, to for whatever reason, it's like they'd stink. It's like mm, not really, you can go to that portal and get a whole bunch of good players really quickly. Um, I mean, Auburn was like that last year too. Auburn was terrible, and all of a sudden they're a national seed this year. So it's just a different day in college athletics from that where I'm. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it's probably a conversation for another day, as you mentioned. But, like, the portal really does change things, right? I mean, look, I talked to some state people uh, in my life that I know where I talked to them about, you know, how much this baseball year sucked for them because, obviously, definitely has sucked for them. Um, but it's fascinating to where, like, I always point out to where, like, yeah, next year was supposed to be the rebuilding year for them, right, on paper, like two years out. It's like, okay, they'll be good next year and probably defend the title. That didn't end up happening, but they'll – no, I take a step back next year with the portal. That's not the case. Now you got to get it right, but they have a chance to be competitive, uh, really competitive next year because of the portal to where that really. I mean, even just man, two years ago that didn't allow like the, the same opportunity no. allowed. Like they were, they would be, for the lack of a better phrase, kind of like up shit creek without a paddle. You know what I mean? If it not for the portal, uh, given what the roster turnover next year. It's not even so much just the portal's existence because it, it actually came about two or three years ago. It's the one-time free transfer yeah, thing yeah, that has exactly. uh, completely yeah. changed the game. Yes, it did. Um, so, anyway, I don't know. It's fascinating. What's up? I really don't have much else on this series. Um, we kind of know what Ole Miss is at this point. I'm just curious if they continue to play well. Um, it's going to be a good test. A&M's a good lineup. They're a little bit vulnerable um, starting pitching-wise. They've been pretty decent in the bullpen, barring a couple spots. But I just kind of want to see, again, if Ole Miss continues to play well. And uh, – 
I'm fascinated to see it. Uh, gut prediction, what do you think? Rebels went on Thursday, Rebels went on Saturday, and then one's on Friday. And I think I'm going two or three for Ole Miss. I can't believe I'm about to cop out of this, but I think uh, Ole Miss wins Thursday, Friday, and then throw my hands up. I have no idea. On wow. So, so what you're saying is that the Rebels lost regional. That's what I'm hearing. I said I don't know on, on Saturday, but, yeah, I mean, no, I'm not going that far. I, I, I can't have that clip out there. Not that anyone would ever actually clip me, but I can't go that far. My thing is, though, I have confidence in them in Delucia as good as Detmer's been. No matter who A&M runs out there on Friday, at this point – Ole Miss is better. Yeah, yeah. I was say Hunter Elliott is kind of like the, the best-kept secret in the SEC right now. If you look at his numbers compared to other Game 2 guys in this league, who would you not take not over close. in game two outside of the dudes from Tennessee and maybe one other? Nobody. Exactly. Literally, yeah. I mean, well, technically because Carolina pitches it backwards, I'd listen to Hall, but outside of him, no. Um, no, I mean, he's, he's really, really, really good. So, yeah, I, I, I think they – if Ole Miss – I think <clears> they <throat> win on Thursday. I actually feel very confident Better in their too. ability to win on Friday and then – uh, Saturday, who knows? I, I picture myself. Boy, if they went on Thursday and Friday, I swear to God, if they went on Thursday and Friday, and then I'm like, oh, they might host, and then they lose on my birthday, I'm gonna hurt myself. I just think if they get the first two wins, and I'm not again not predicting a sweep. I said they win the first two, and then hands up in the air. Um, I also said in the newsletter, I'm done making predictions with this team because like, none of this has made any sense. I haven't ever been right. <laughs> Like, no part of this has ever made any sense. So I'm kind of done with it. You did predict them to win the series last week. Me and Chase wouldn't do that. That is true, but I was still wrong. They swept. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I hope I you're one like, game off again this week, and I hope I'm uh, two games off again this week. Or one game off this week. I just – I feel like I'm going to be – I think they're going to win the first two games, and then I'm going to be sitting on my couch on Saturday afternoon. In the Saturday game a night game? No, no, it's a, it's an afternoon game, so they can get everything ready for Hoover. And uh, just laugh and just beg this the, this group. These dudes. <laughs> They're really about to do this. I am. Uh, I might actually have – I'm going to watch the first two games. I might have a bit of a scheduling conflict Saturday. I am going to a NASCAR race. You're going to a NASCAR race. I am going – so I'm going to Nashville this weekend uh, on Friday and Saturday and Sunday for a basketball coaching clinic during the Ole Miss game on Friday night. I'll actually be listening to uh, Chris Jan speak. Oh, that'll be awesome. Yeah, uh, Mike Bray speaks before that. I'm kind of excited. Yeah, that'll be a ton of fun. Nashville's fun city. That'll be good stuff. Um, yeah, I had a buddy out here who actually went to Mississippi State. Um, I knew him a little bit. He's friends with one of my really close friends. And we got to know each other since I moved out here. And he wanted to play golf on Saturday morning. I was like, yeah, sure, I'm in. Count me in. And he's like, actually, change of plans. This lady at my work just dropped us off uh, – <laughs> Four passes to the NASCAR All-Star Race at Texas Motor Speedway this weekend. Um, so, we're going to get – he was like, yeah, I think we get to go – if I'm reading these tickets right, we get to go inside, like, the pit row and all that before the race. And I was like, are you – I don't know what any of that means. But Me neither. Awesome. That's what I said, but it sounds awesome. I was like, do I need to go buy, like, a sleeveless Dale Jr. deal? Like, I can't be looking like – I need earmuffs. Yeah. And that's, I probably do need earplugs. So, I'm going to become a NASCAR guy this weekend. I will uh, I will report back. So, so – I have to ask, during COVID, like, you know, that was the first thing back. Did you ever get in the NASCAR? Because you either got in the NASCAR or into the stock market, one or the other. You had to do one during COVID. 
I kind of sort of, I, I would say I downloaded the Acorns app. I never got into NASCAR. I had some degenerate buddies that tried to bet the iRacing and the shocker. Hey, that didn't go well for them. Um, so, <laughs> but a couple of my roommates tried to bet the iRacing. They didn't go well. I watched pieces of a NASCAR race when it came back. I will admit that. Uh, but I can't say I got into it. Were you into the NASCAR? Okay. Uh, no, I got into the stock market. Oh, they were, how did that go? Uh, not great, not great. Looking at my Robinhood account, and what I'm, I'm, what I'm down all time. So, um, yeah, we just we started putting our money with actual smart people instead of myself. Yeah, it's all, it's, all of this is just gambling in the end. That's why we're all here. Yeah, it's like that's what everybody. I'll laugh at all the teachers and stuff talking about like day trading and stuff. It's like, guys, you're just gambling, and it's just more uh, widely accepted. Oh yeah, dude. The days of the day trader are long gone. Like in terms of them actually knowing anything. Like the, I listened. Ryan Rosillo had a, like a financial guy on his podcast. He's like, dude. Day, he was like, I used to be a day trader. He's like, it is literally just legalized gambling. The day trader is no different than the guy that telling you Warriors money line on a random NBA Tuesday is an absolute lock. He doesn't know anything. So, like, life lessons on this. If you do know anything, it's illegal. So yeah, like it's. Yeah. You know, one's legal, one's becoming more legal. He is Colin Brister. I appreciate the time. As always, my man, we'll touch base at the uh, at the end of the series. All right, sounds good, my man. All right, that was Colin Brister. Appreciate his time. As always, we will catch up with uh, our guy Colin on Sunday because there will be uh, plenty to talk about from this series for our Sunday baseball conversation. Let's kick it over to Weldon Rodenberg now. It is the fastest growing segment in American soil. It is Soccer Corner. Here we go. Final week of the English Premier League season. I got to be honest, I didn't know it was the final week until I started getting uh, messages on the message board about it. So, um, but that doesn't matter. That's not what we do on this podcast. We are the experts, despite all logic. Here we go, soccer corner. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's English Premier League specialist, former Tottenham scout Weldon Rodenberg. We have no, <laughs> we have no American football to discuss. This is a soccer corner at the request of the people. We, uh, we had to get you back on. You're listening to this probably on a Thursday morning, most of you out there. But uh, a pinch hit summer welded edition. I got to say, when I asked you to start doing this podcast, um, probably around this time last year, right? Late summer for football season going. I never anticipated this would devolve to you coming on to only talk soccer. What's up, man? No, I didn't see that either. I, uh, <laughs> I told you when you started football, I was like, I'm, I'm pretty well-rounded. I can do baseball. I can do basketball if you need me. But uh, – so I did not expect the soccer corner to take off like it has, but uh, I'm good, man. I, it's just a busy time of year. I've got stuff every single weekend. Uh, I was in Nashville last weekend at my brother's graduation from Vanderbilt, going to New Orleans this weekend, just a, a lot, but happy to be back. What do you got going on in New Orleans? Another wedding. Yeah, see, it's that time of year. Like, I had three, four weeks where I was out of town in a row. Now I had three weeks in Dallas, but after this – coming weekend or two two weekends from now it's back on the road basically for four weeks people just need to stop getting married i think is the solution i've gathered no yeah and this one's i mean new orleans is pretty easy you know i'm in houston um so that's not terrible but it's black tie oh what black tie in may in new orleans i just i just don't get it sometimes it's just not I know it is technically about the people getting married, but if you're going to invite the amount of people, especially invited to this one, it's like you got to be at least semi-considerate. <laughs> oh, 100%. I actually have two quick notes on this. One, so we went to college, and we were 
blessed enough to be acquainted with some Georgia folks uh, while we were in school, particularly South Georgia folks. I guess it goes for all of Georgia, actually, from what I've gathered. Have you noticed black tie, that's their thing, whether they're in the wedding or not. Like, I don't even think, maybe it says black tie on the invitation. I've never looked into it enough. But I've now gone to a couple Georgia weddings to where, like, all the Mississippi people that aren't in it are in suits. But black tie is just what you wear to a wedding if you're a Georgia guy. Have you noticed this as well? I've been to three in the last year where I'm like, these people weren't in this wedding and they're in tuxes. I have never seen that. That that is so stupid. <laughs> I mean, I, I get. I mean, if it's tradition, it's tradition. I mean, here I've been to a bunch of Texas weddings, and I don't know how it is in Mississippi, but the Texas people they do uh, they do full on sit down dinners Whoa. at at their weddings um, after the you know ceremony and before the official like you know reception part. The first part of the reception is a sit down dinner, and that is like that's just all of them. doesn't matter where you are, Houston, Dallas. I went to one in marathon. I think I was on after that. Um, so that's just something they do. And I, and being from Louisiana, that's just completely foreign to me. It's weird. Yeah, Everyone has weird things. I've never heard of that either. Um, you know, I'm, look, I get it. The wedding is really, let's be honest. The wedding's about the bride, right? She's calling the shots. Yeah. I get that. There are probably some sacrifices that have to be made that are not the most considerate to like the people out there, but like attire wise, come on, like sit down <laughs> dinner. I don't know what we're doing with that. I would like to people to enjoy my wedding as much as possible. Like shout out to my man, William Mayo, uh, our guy, William Mayo, who actually texted us about soccer morning that week. His wedding <laughs> was did. at the beach and one beach weddings are awesome. Two, there was a small church. And so he only invited a select few people to the actual ceremony I didn't know this. One of our other idiot buddies texted me like four hours before and go, are you invited to the reception or the ceremony? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't know there was a distinction. So we all aired on the side of caution and just showed up to the reception. I like that move too. Like no one's going to get offended that you're not. You know, especially, oh, especially if it's a yeah. Catholic wedding. It's like, no, like, you know, if you're inviting, inviting a bunch of people and it's a Catholic wedding on a Friday or whatever, and you know, the ceremony is an hour and a half. It's like, you can cut that number of people that have to attend in half and people are going to enjoy themselves much more. <laughs> you know, you don't need them all there, especially if you want to keep those numbers down to whether you're worried about fitting in the church or just concerned about the amount of people going, just say, come to the reception if you want to. Yeah. Makes everyone's I, life a lot easier. I love that. It was a power move. Mayo, if you're listening and I was invited to the uh, ceremony, you looked awesome up there. If not, I really appreciated not having to go. And I wasn't invited, so <laughs> <laughs> not that I would have been. Yeah. Last uh, wedding yeah. note, uh, you mentioned the black tie part of it. That's a tough move. I worked for a wedding company or a wedding event, like uh, like setup type company in Oxford one summer to earn a little extra money. Um, shout out to the Shivers family out there. Uh, I think it's called Details. I was working this uh, this reception at this one of those beautiful houses off the south side of the square. Um, you know, the main drive you come into coming up on hours and all that. But the reception was in August. It was black tie and the bride opted against having any sort of tent. So there are these people out there for this outdoor ceremony and reception in a black tie outdoors with no protection, just baking in the heat. And I was like, I don't understand. Do you have a granddad? He's going to die. Like this yeah. is just, this is there's no water coolers there's no IVs what what are we doing here not safe <laughs> yeah like not no if 
like no slight to whoever those people are or whatever. I don't even know who they were, but you could tell that they wanted it their way. That's one thing. But I was like, man, this is just absurd. Like I wouldn't want to go to this. This is, this is like a fear factor type deal. Like, are we going to have Joe Rogan being like, this guy looks like he's about to go down. Like I just that none of that made any sense to me. I, I found that to be absurd. Um, I'm anti black tie. I think that's our final statement. Uh, yes. Unless it's in the winter. Yeah, I, I can deal with it in December when it's like cold outside and it kind of works no matter what, but not in South Louisiana in May. And this is a good friend of mine. So I she probably does not listen to this. So I don't care, but that's good. We're safe. Still. <laughs> um, yeah. And then like a, a tux is honestly in some ways a little bit more comfortable than a suit. Um, but you know, when can it's not, when it, it can be, yeah, it's basically weather oriented. We're a anti black tie summer. I'm glad we got that uh, official policy established on this podcast. As we <laughs> continue enough. to sprout our brand here with soccer corner, the season is winding down. So it is, it is all coming down to what I gather is this Sunday. Um, there's a couple of battles to watch. Um, I saw earlier in the week, Saudi Castle was playing spoiler to some degree. So they beat um, Arsenal, Arsenal. Yep. which screwed Arsenal out of – not screwed them out totally, but that really put them up against it for top four for the Champions League. Um, you know, you think Ole Miss football's mentions are bad after they lose a game. I ventured over to Arsenal's Twitter account <laughs> after they lost 2-0 to Saudi Castle United. Buddy, were people angry? This was – I get we, – we, we have the whole Saudi Castle narrative down, but this was a big letdown for Arsenal is what it sounds like. Definitely. I think it's been – so it's kind of a weird dynamic. We'll probably get into it later when we talk about what's – at stake on Sunday, but I mean, Arsenal has not been in the Champions League. I think this would be the fifth year in a row if they don't make it this year, and that wow can really mess with a lot of things with your with your squad, your team, your franchise. Um, so yeah, it's a huge because they were not locks, but about three or four games ago, it was looking like okay, Tottenham's kind of faltering here and there. Arsenal doesn't have like the hardest run coming up if they just kind of wade through it they should be just fine to be fourth because Chelsea was uh clearly going to be third even though they have had their own complete issues almost a terrible meltdown but they they're, they're going to be just fine so yeah they uh play had to go all the way up north to play Newcastle just didn't even show up I mean it was an ass beating um and now they have a I mean not by no means an easy match on Sunday they're playing like the most desperate team in the league, Everton, and we'll get to them later. So it's not like they're just going to roll over and let them win. Um, so, yeah, they're in, they're in big trouble. And, yeah, we'll, we'll probably get to kind of the scenarios in a little bit. When we were talking about the run that Saudi Castle United was on, um, and because the last time we did a soccer corner was about a month ago, and they were just kicking people's ass. And I was trying to understand, like, how this rolls not only into this year, but next year. Didn't you use Arsenal as an example? Or was it – I can't remember if it was Liverpool or Arsenal, but you said, like, you know, they have to go to them the last week or the second half league of the season. I'm sure they're like, damn it, like, this sucks. It may have been Liverpool. It may have been earlier. But you're talking about as they play spoiler – and, you know, they optimize kind of the transfer window or whatever. Like, you don't want to have to go play Newcastle towards the end of the season. It may have been the Arsenal example. It may have been Liverpool. I can't remember. Oh, but I remember exactly Liverpool what it was. Play. It was um, Liverpool's in the middle of their Champions League semifinal yeah. set. And they're playing Villarreal 
at home on a Wednesday, then it's like, shit. On that Saturday, we're going to have to rotate the squad in the middle of trying to win the league, and we're going to have to go to Newcastle and play. Um, and then we have to turn around and then go to Spain to play Villarreal again. And they barely escaped both of those games, uh, which just shows you how good that team is this year. But, yeah, that was a team, Newcastle, that absolutely nobody wanted to play in the second half of the season. New coach, three or four new players, um, inspired Saudi blood money confidence. Uh, they they uh, had a really solid second half of the season. So Arsenal not making the Champions League, that's – I'm trying to think of like the American sports equivalent. Would that be something like to the equivalent of like, I don't know, like the St. Louis Cardinals or something missing the playoffs for like six, seven years in a row to where like that fan base has just become like the Cardinals never suck, right? Like they've had down years and things like that, but they're never like we're rebuilding for the next you know decade or so. Like what's kind of the equivalent if you'd had to say, because that seems pretty disappointing because one, I'd heard of Arsenal before we started doing this segment. <laughs> and two, the fact that they not made the Champions League in that uh, amount of time was actually pretty shocking to me. Yeah, I think that's actually a great example. Um, I think you're more knowledgeable in baseball than I am, and i am got a little bit more on you on soccer. I think that's a pretty good one. Um, if, if St. Louis – I mean, that division with the – were they in there in the NL Central? Yeah, NL Central. Look at me go. I mean, that's not like the a gauntlet of a division, even though I think the Brewers have been better and the Cubs. Is that the same? Is, all the same, is that the same one? Oh, yeah. Like Brewers, Brewers, Cubs, Reds, Cardinals. And Reds, Cardinals. Yeah, there you go. You got it down. All right. I'm, I see. I can, I'm all around. I'm all around. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. And if they, if they had made the playoffs for five years in a row, especially with the team they have, you'd be like, something's way off here. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a pretty good – um, example, then I guess United, you know, they're, they're have a huge match on Sunday. They play at Crystal Palace. They need to win just to get into the Europa League because if they lose and West Ham wins, then they're going to be in like the third brand new European competition, which no one gives a shit about. So they have a lot at stake on Sunday. And it's kind of a weird deal because they just hired their new manager who is already in Manchester, kind of working on things. The interim manager they have for the year, it's his last game. You know, players are hurt. It's just a bizarre scenario for on Sunday for them, but it does mean a lot. So they're obviously out on Champions League, but so top yes. six is Europa League. And yes, seven is Europa Conference League. I think we had someone on the board verify that one for us because honestly, that that Conference League is new and they've they kind of changed up a little a few things. Um, and you, the conference league is so bad. Like you do, it's just a waste of time, honestly. Like you, it'd be one of those deals. Like if you just don't even want to win the tournament because you want to just get out of that competition so that you can focus on the other ones. So you would just be begging. I mean, it's so it's so dumb. And you know, some teams have taken some pride into it. But if I was United, and you're in that league. I mean, that's like being in the uh, not the NIT, but what's the third one? Like the CBI. CBI. Yeah. yeah. It's like being in the CBI. Like, you don't even want to make it. I remember LSU one year uh, just rejected their NIT bid when Ben Simmons was there. Like, no, we don't even want to do this. <laughs> so, do we have some soul searching to do if you're a man united? Because, you know, it seems like that would be a pretty big disappointment for a club like that to not, not only not make the Champions League, but to be fighting for Europa. And if, you know, God forbid they don't make that, uh, you know, the stakes will burn over there in Manchester, wherever the hell that is. Um, oh, certainly. Yeah, so, like, is that – you also mentioned, I remember one time saying interim managers aren't necessarily common in soccer. Now they have a 
interim manager. They got the new guy working it out. Like, are we looking at a overhaul type situation with Man United? What? How? How toxic is this? That's the best case scenario. Is you overhaul some of the scouting departments, some of the the general managers who make the decisions. They had a guy there, Woodward, Ed Woodward, who was there for a long time. No relation to Scott Woodward, and he's gone. And they have a new guy in there, the new manager in there, some new assistant coaches. So it's as close to a, you know, changing of the guard there as you can possibly get. You know, the ownership's the same. I know a lot of the fans are frustrated about that. Uh, but I think they're headed in the right direction. And, um, you know, it, a lot of it depends on what they do with this team in the transfer window in the summer because that's how you have to remake your team going into next year because they bring the same guys back, which they most certainly will not. Uh, they'll be in real trouble. But I, I love the coach. He's from Ajax in Amsterdam. They won the league this year there. They win it almost every time. They're, they're awesome. They're fun to watch. So I'm really, really, really excited about next season. But it's going to be a lot of it dependent on who goes out and who comes in. And I did some homework for this podcast. And by that, I mean I looked up the uh, past winners on Wikipedia. United has not won a Premier League since 2013 that has to be a considered a championship drought but I'm, what I'm also curious about is the fact that Man City's won like four or five in that time period I believe it's four as so I remember a kid I went to high school with um and played high school golf with who was kind of the uh edgy soccer guy and wanted to let you know he was a big soccer guy that type of guy he would love this segment um he, I had never really heard of Man City. And I was like, what are these dudes, like, boys in blue? What is all this about? I just thought that Manchester soccer team <laughs> was united. What's, what's the deal? Is How recent is this Manchester City run as best as you can describe it? I know you – look, I don't expect you to have just an encyclopedia knowledge back to the no. 90s of the Premier League. No, no, no. no. I, like, I don't have how that. new is City? And is that, like, a big deal for, like, uh, footing ground or whatever in – Manchester? Is it Manchester? Is it London? What, where it's are Manchester. Okay, yeah, that's a different city than London. So they, Roberto Mancini, who is now the national team coach for Italy, who did not make the World Cup, um, he was their manager for a while. And I think during his run, they won their first one. And a few years before that, or maybe during that process, they were bought by the guy who runs the sovereign fund for the United Arab Emirates. I think his name is like Sheikh Mansour. Okay. And that completely changed that club forever. Um, they were always, you know, a team that was in the top divisions, you know, kind of a little brother relationship with United. Um, but once you, you know, put in that much money into a club, I mean, billions and billions and billions, you were able to just get on a financial footing, a competitive advantage that you just never had before. They, they built a brand new stadium. They hired once Mancini left, they may have had one guy in between and then they went and got the best coach in the world. I think in 2016 and Pep Guardiola, he was at Bayern Munich at the time had just won, I think the treble, which is winning the champions league, your domestic league and your domestic leagues big tournament, okay. which is unheard of. People do not do it very often. United's done it. Liverpool is going for it this year, and they have a real chance to do it. Um, and then once they brought in Pep, you know, 
you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't buy the correct players and scout well, especially in this kind of league and format, you're, you're toast. And United has been on the terrible side of paying, you know, loads and loads, millions of euros for just really unproductive players, whereas City, you know, they have just been borderline incredible with not only their young kids going through their academy, which they used to basically not have, you know, Manchester United's like the most famous academy in the world. City just didn't even barely even had one. Then all of a sudden you've got guys coming out there like Phil Foden, uh, who's been starting for them and a bunch of other guys. They went and bought Kevin De Bruyne only a year or two after Chelsea let him go. And now he's easily one of the best players in the league. Um, they've done really good with a bunch of Portuguese players. They bought three or four from Benfica, all of which are starting for them consistently and winning. So not only have they just been in flux with money, but they've picked the exact right players for their system. And Pep's one of the best coaches in the world. They just, you know, they've just been running through people, whereas teams like United have been, you know, off. Tottenham and Arsenal have most certainly not been overly competitive league-wise. And then Liverpool – just works on a completely different budget, but have one of the best coaches and one of the best academies, one of the best scouting divisions. So they can do what they do on a budget, which is even more impressive than the other ones. And it's not like they're poor by any means. They're still worth $4 billion, but it, they don't spend money the same way that the other clubs do. But City, that's how they've done it. I was going to ask you about Liverpool too, because they won in nineteen and 20, uh, 2020, but that was the first one they'd won since – According to Wikipedia, like the modern long, Premier League, they changed since like 1992. That was their – I think they had a runner-up in there at some point, I think like 13, 14. But that was a big deal, and now they're kind of returning to relevance. So you're telling me they operate on a little bit of a smaller budget than like the Man City, Man United, Chelsea type deal? They're kind of like one peg below in terms of money? Yeah, I mean, you just don't see them going out and spending 80, 100 million euros. Like Man City just went out and spent, I think, 75 million, 80 million euros, including – a a release clause on Erling Holland, one of the best players in the world from Dortmund in Germany. I mean, Liverpool just doesn't do that. They go and find like real value in players. They have a really, really strong academy. Uh, I mean, another Mo Salah, which when he's playing the way he plays is easily one of the best players in the world. You know, he was at Chelsea, didn't cut it, went to another club who I cannot remember off the top of my head. And then Liverpool came in and bought him at kind of at a discount, like buy low. And he's easily been one of the best players in the world. Um, they kind of pick from the same well. They take guys from Southampton. Uh, they'll take some guys from Arsenal here and there, depending on how they're doing. Uh, they're just incredibly smart. They're incredibly deep. And they have young guys playing for them. They have old guys playing for them. They're just, they just really, really run a clean, clean, clean program. I mean, the best example of what they do, so in the transfer portal in the in the winter, they bought like one player. They bought Luis Diaz from Porto, a Colombian player in Porto. He has been literally their best player for the entire second half of the season. And they bought him for like $40 million from Porto. Whereas some other clubs, they'll buy players for $80 million and they don't even play. Like they just have a system they do and they find guys that fit it, and then they just are elite at it. It's similar to basketball, football, but it's just the way that they operate. It's, it's more of a, I guess, more of a baseball kind of mindset of not necessarily money ball because that's not close. It's not close to that at all, but 
finding guys that fit their system and the way they play, whether you're a power team or a speed team or a, you know, yeah. So they're, they're, they do it really, really well. All right. So we're, let's just get to the top of it then. So you have Man City leading by a point going into the final weekend. Both of these teams play at 11 a.m. on, is that American time? I hope it is. I think it's 10 a.m. Central. Everyone everyone plays at the same time. All, whatever it is, 20 teams all play at the same time. Okay, taking a page out of the NFL's playbook. I'm guessing the NFL got that from the Premier League, but whatever. We're Americans. They invented it. Um, Let's (laughs) – so Manchester City, they're both on the – so they're one point ahead of Liverpool. Both teams appear to be on the road. You have Liverpool at Wolverhampton, and then you have City at Aston Villa. Going into a scenario like this, because obviously soccer has the points, right? Three points, whatever. Give me, like, what the dynamic and strategy is for both of these clubs. Obviously, I can knock out the first one. I imagine Liverpool needs to win the game and get – or win the match, excuse me, and get three points. Uh, And then you're hoping for a City-Villa tie or worse? What's the deal here? So, it's pretty simple. It's Liverpool needs to win and City – has to lose or tie. Okay. If City if City wins, they win the league. If City ties and Liverpool ties, they win. So it, it's really it's pretty it's pretty self-explanatory. But it is just in classic soccer, very interesting because this storyline starts tomorrow because Aston Villa plays Burnley tomorrow, and there's this fun theory because Aston Villa's new coach is Steven Gerrard. I don't know if you've heard that name before. I have heard that name. He's a big-time English soccer player a while back, right? Liverpool Liverpool legend. Okay. So he – there's like a lot of thought that he might rest his players <laughs> tomorrow because they're safe. You know, they have really not anything to play for. Right, they're eight. Against Burnley, who is – yeah, <laughs> who is in relegation mode, which could fuck with Everton. It, it's just – it's a big – spider web of possibilities they think oh i love this so yeah he Liverpool might legend they don't have anything to play for they're gonna I'm rest sure. their guys against the team trying not to get relegated and then go hard against city, city so his club can, his former club that he's a legend at can win the premier league yes it's just a, a fun conspiracy because you don't know if they're going to do it or not but they have nothing to play for so it's like they're going they have at home against burnley and then they're going um yeah, I think it's at home, Burnley, and then City at home or whatever. So that's a fun thing. But if you're an Everton fan or a Leeds fan, you're like, oh, my God, of course they're just going to do that. And then right. now we really have to win. Or it might not even matter because whoever Burnley plays on Sunday, like if they beat them, then it's over for those two teams. And they play – oh, they play Saudi Castle on Sunday. Ooh. So that will be tough. But, yeah, there's that's the best part about the end of this league. And the way it's all set up, as compared to NBA or whatever, it's there's always something to play for, whether it's the top or the bottom and things, everything matters for every single team. So it's it's a really, really fun finish. And this year, more than most, because there's actually something at the top to be played for. So that's what's fascinating about this is there is no playoffs, right? This is just how this league goes. And you mentioned it is very fascinating from the top to the bottom, but there's a lot of clubs, I would say, like what, like seven or eight through – the 15 range who really have nothing to play for 
is there any tomfoolery going on? I don't know. Maybe you just put on, I know that cleats are now called boots. Do you just try to spike as many people as possible? Do you just play like a jackass or just do the other middle clubs play out the string? How does this work over there? I think they just play out to end the season on a, on a good yeah. note, depending on who it is. I mean, you're not going out just to spike people and whatnot, but yeah, from eight, like wolves at eight to Southampton at 15, like those clubs really have no trophy, no relegation to worry about, no promotion to worry about. So they're just playing another soccer game in front of their home fans or whatever. Maybe they'll honor some players that are leaving. You, you never know what's going on over there, but there's always some sort of weird motivation, um, but no real stakes for them. Okay, that makes sense. So what? how do you think this shakes out? Because, I mean, clearly both of these teams, the two road teams battling out, are the better team. But you mentioned Aston Villa doesn't have anything to play for, but on the contrary – uh, no, Wolverhampton, I guess, doesn't either. So they're actually both playing teams that don't necessarily on the surface have anything to play for this Sunday. Is that correct? That's correct. Is that for pride? And you'd be surprised what happens at the end of the last day of the uh, of the season, what some of these teams will come out for. You know, there's so much pressure on the other team. It's like, you know, Wolves and Aston Villa, they're just playing soccer. It doesn't matter for them. Um, so that's kind of like a pretty dangerous thing to have happen to you when your your two teams are going for the championship and two teams are just out there playing uh, carefree, you know, it it's sets up for a very interesting dynamic. So as far as the just complete total disaster scenario for United, they are at home against Crystal Palace. So they should probably, maybe probably handle that one okay, whereas the team behind them is West Ham, and they have – what do we got here? Who is West? Oh, they have Brighton, who's a lot more desperate. So, in terms of just complete disaster, missing the Europa League, United is probably okay. Uh, they're they're in decent shape. Uh, West Ham, you know, Brighton's a pretty good squad. They're not just going to lay down. West Ham has really kind of faded, um, not dramatically, but just really in form throughout the the second half of the season. United obviously has been kind of crap all season for their standards. They should be able to get a point against Crystal Palace, and uh, but they need they need to win because if they end up tying with West Ham, I think it's uh, it's goal differential, and West Ham uh, has a much better goal differential than United does. So they need United if they just win the game, they're in the Europa League. If they lose, they better hope West Ham loses. How big of a sigh of relief is that? I know you hinted on, hit it on it earlier, like if you go one below, no one cares about that. But, like, is that salvaging anything to be in the Europa League, or do United fans really care? Is it just no. an insult to injury? How does this work? Yeah, so we'll start. This is actually a good segue in this conversation. Your teams, I don't know the full details of this, but I've tried very, very hard to, to learn it. Uh, your team's payroll structure and your players' contracts are, 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 are different depending on what European competition you're in. And it also really affects the ability for you to get the top transfers from other clubs that you want, whether you're playing Champions League, Europa League, or Conference League. Um, the same exact thing is for relegation. I mean, if you're a team like Watford and Norwich City, your bankroll and your ability to buy players completely changes once you get knocked down. I mean, you're going to have to sell off guys, guys that are under contract. Those contracts are amended, and they're usually already in them before they sign. They're going to be making less money. If you're Ronaldo, 
you're making less money in the Europa League than you are in the Champions League. And you're going to struggle just payroll-wise to go out and buy the elite players because they're going to be like, I want to play in the best league, not just domestically, but I want to play in the Champions League. I mean, United's already kind of run into this with two or three players they're potentially interested in. They can afford them, but those guys want to play in the best league in Europe. And sometimes, you know, whereas the NFL and NBA, the guys go for the money. In soccer, yeah, they absolutely go for the money if it's there. But if they're choosing between a team like, let's say, Liverpool and United, they might be like, yeah, you know, I don't really care if the money's all that different. I want to play in the Champions League. So it, your structure, your payroll, your outlook on next season can change dramatically on what league you end up in. Yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't that that makes a lot more sense in terms of the importance. So it actually is a very big deal um, in terms of that. And I guess like getting to the Champions League actually helps you with stability too. Not only like heading into the next year too, because you're at an advantage from a contract perspective. Like uh, like you said, let's get to the real nitty gritty. My favorite part, the bottom of this league. <laughs> so it's a one team. Well, I won't say it's a one team race. Actually, it's one spot. The other – Watford and New Norwich City are dunskies. They, they have 20 – They're done. They're done. Uh, yeah, they're just packing it up to go home back to whatever league uh, they will be in next year. You have Burnley at 34 points in the last relegation slot. Leeds United is at 35 points. And then you actually have Everton at 36. So there's actually three teams that could end up kind of getting, uh, getting a little squirrely here by this. So you have – I'm trying to see if I have all these playing each other. None of these play each other, right? So They do not play each other. No, oh, each play the Brentford Beats. How could I forget something like that? Yes. Um, okay, so then you have what? So it's, it's weird, though. Leeds has already played an extra game compared to these other two. So they're in real trouble because Burnley plays tomorrow and Sunday. Okay. And Everton plays tomorrow and Sunday. So Leeds only has one opportunity to help their standing, whereas Burnley and Everton have two. So they're, Leeds is in real trouble. So Everton is probably okay because they're 16th in two spots relegation with two matches to play. That's obviously – I mean, you got to win, right? Like if you lose both of them, that's, that's no good and you could be in trouble. But in terms of just opportunity to score points, they're okay – to whereas Burnley with two matches left is like the, the way you should really look at this is Burnley trying to pick off leads with a little bit of a leg up despite being a point behind. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah, I would say that's definitely the case because, you know, Everton, they play uh, Crystal Palace at home tomorrow, which is, you know, by far not a given that they're just going to win that game, especially though, I mean, they've been terrible all year. That's why they're in this situation. And then they've got to go to Arsenal on Sunday, which Arsenal is going to be as just as desperate as they are. So, I mean, that's going to be the must-watch game because it's going to matter for both teams, like, severely. Um, and then, let's see, Burnley. Yeah, we talked about them, Aston Villa. Who knows what that's going to look like, depending on who Aston Villa plays, which I'm sure they'll play their, their full team, and that'll be a, a struggle for them. Um, and then they have – who would you say? Oh, yeah, Saudi Castle on – on Sunday, so, so they need to win on Thursday because as we know, Cast was the freight train from hell just screwing everyone over here. Yeah, if Burnley doesn't win on Thursday, they get no points. If they if they draw, they have a shot. If they don't win on Thursday, I would say they are toast. Okay, so if you're a lead, no guarantee. I mean, there's a lot. Like, I mean, they're only one point separated from each of them. 
Right. So there's so many different scenarios that could go that direct with those three down there. Um, that'll be fun to watch. In terms of just pure uh, knowledge of me hurting, I have heard of Everton. I would say before we started doing this segment, I had not heard of Leeds and Burnley. In terms of historical stature in the English Premier League, what would be worth? Like, who would it be most embarrassing for to not make it? Everton. So I'm looking up. So Leeds is a pretty historic club. Um, they have a great show on um, on Amazon Prime, kind of talking about the struggles they've gone through, like financially and everything that's gone on with that club. But they have a real history. They've won the league. I think they've even won the Euro, Euro, uh, Champions League before it was a Champions League. Um, but they they've been a little up and down, what's yo yo ish recently. Okay. So. When was Everton last relegated? Everton was last of a relegation in 1951. Whoa. Okay, so we're talking big time here. This would be real bad. That's, I think, 71 years ago, something like that. And they they got back up in 53-54 and have not been relegated since. So we're talking about a scenario here. I'm just looking at these. the, the, The final standing aside for a second. Like Aston Villa, I've heard of that club. A club like that in Everton, do they need new owners? Is their best hope to get an owner that's going to spend more money? What goes into them sucking the way they do and getting down here? I'm sure there's more to it than that. But, like, do they – that, is that what their main hope is? What's kind of the deal there? I mean, that doesn't always – having the new owner with the fresh, you know, fresh wallet doesn't always guarantee success by well, any means. Saudis. Yeah, I mean, now – that that's fine that they have that i mean i don't know if you saw the chart but i didn't realize i mean the the group that bought the saudis uh their net worth is 400 billion dollars yeah we're talking 400 yeah exactly we're a lot of these it's like you know seven eight billion you're talking 400 billion 400 billion so that they're i mean yeah they're not that's not all being pulled into soccer of course not but um for everton for aston villa it's all about like using your resources correctly how everything is down here makes no sense to me because you look at their squad, they have like really talented players. They have two strikers, one that starts for the Brazilian national team, and then another one that's bit was on the English, what you call it, uh, European Cup team. Uh, they have a goalkeeper that was the goalkeeper for the European Cup. They have two or three midfield. I mean, it just doesn't even make sense to me. They fired their coach midway through the year. They brought in Frank Lampard. He's done okay. It's just a weird, weird year where it's like, you know, there's coin flip seasons. You know, talk about Ole Miss football. It's like coin flip games. It's like imagine if you just lost every one of them (laughs) and you just had everything go wrong possible, and that's really what's happened for them this year. They have just been bad. Uh, Aston Villa has been fine. Their whole deal is they just don't have the money and the resources and – you know, when you have to sell off your best players every two or three years, it's tough. But they're they're fine. And teams like that are usually fine. And are they ever like like I just looked up that Everton is in Liverpool. There's really no shot they ever become the club in Liverpool, right? Because of Liverpool? Not anymore. No. No, absolutely not. Yeah, that's their biggest – it's like the Merseyside Derby. That's their biggest rival. I mean, there's a, there's an opportunity. You want to talk about like real heartbreak? Is if Everton gets relegated and Liverpool wins the <laughs> wins the league, I mean that's just a one city, two completely different directions. That's like Ole Miss winning the national championship and Mississippi State uh, getting kicked out of the SEC. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's bad. Yeah. So I love the nicknames on this, particularly on Wikipedia. Everton is the Blues, the Toffee, 
the people's club, they should have stuck with that one. And then the school Agreed. of science. I don't know what drugs were in the room when that was decided. That doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> I don't Wait, know about that one. I've heard the toffees before. Okay, the blues, the toffees, the people's club, and the school of science. Whereas Villa is the villains. I like that. The lions, yep. the Clarendon Blue Army. Some of these last nicknames had to have been established before we had like electricity and stuff like that. I mean, we're talking yeah, pre 1900 type of stuff. I love the names of, and then. Though I have heard of this, the uh, coach of Everton, Frank Lampard. I know he's famous. I used to play with him on FIFA soccer, right? Yeah, Chelsea legend. Okay. So before we wrap up, because we kind of covered every single uh, – I think we covered most of the topics, and I don't think we missed anything. Just what, one. Just one. We missed what? Tottenham and Arsenal. Oh, that's right. That's right. We got to hit that one, right, because that's Champions League to get into yes. that. So Arsenal is two points behind. They have 66 points. Tottenham is 68 points. I like how the point structures work to where it's like, yeah, Tottenham could tie, but then you're leaving it up to a tiebreaker that, of course, I have no clue about. I'm sure they do. I would hope they do. Uh, yeah. But that's uh, – so that, that's also dramatic. I'm trying to figure out what, who they play just so I have this – They out. play Norwich City. So, okay. So, so Tottenham, that would be the choke of all chokes, right? They, they have been set up to have one of the most we are Tottenham, we are most, we are Ole Miss moments possible. All they have to do is get one point to wow. tie Norwich and they are in the Champions League next year. That's all they need. It's one point against them. They win, they're in, they tie, they're in. If they lose and Arsenal lose, they're in. There's only one scenario they don't play Champions League football and that is them losing and Arsenal beating Everton at home. Um, so yes, Tottenham is the odds on favor by a mile, but if there's anything that they could do, it would be losing to them and Arsenal beating Everton. Uh, it's definitely in the cards. <laughs> okay. I love this because as our guy, I think it was, I was, I was trying to originally select a soccer club as a bit back in like student media, I think was actually first time I tried this. I'm pretty sure our guy Mayo actually told me that Tottenham is like Ole Miss because I actually saw a tweet about this earlier this week to where it's like, if you're not nervous as a Tottenham fan about needing whatever against uh, Norwich City, then you're not a Tottenham fan. So yeah. they're just completely screwed up in the head, Tottenham fans are? I mean, definitely. They've had some scars. Okay. Well, they've, had some, they've had some success. Um, they have a beautiful new stadium that the Saints will be playing in very wow. soon. Uh, they have Conte, their new coach, who's been all over the place. and I mean, they've been great. I mean, the fact that they're in this spot is really impressive from where they started. Um, but, yeah, they are a club that does not win trophies and is full of scars, to say the least. So they're right on that precipice where they've had success, but they're trying – they're kind of want to win trophies, but, like, haven't quite gotten there yet. Is that kind of accurate? That really I mean, I don't think they've I, – I don't even know when the last time they won a trophy. And that's not just, like, a trophy. That's any trophy. But they're always on the cusp, right? Because I've heard yeah. of them and, like, I've seen them to obviously towards the top of the standings, things like that. So that's – that's like, they're, they've been close, just no cigar on any level. Yeah, so they won the League Cup, which is not the FA Cup. It's, like, the other one in 2008. So okay. they have a 14-year drought of trophies, according to this. And – Norwich City is only working with five victories on the year. So this, I mean, that would be. It would be, it would be next level. It would be Ole Miss against, what was that, Tennessee Tech? <laughs> that, I mean, it would be that kind of loss. Like, oh, okay. my God. 
Uh, I don't know Norwich City's problem. One, they have the green and yellow, not my favorite colors in the world. And then a lot going on with the logo. There appears to be some kind of bird standing on a ball. It's not even a cool bird. It's like not even like a rooster attack type deal. It just looks like a sparrow. They need to change up their mojo. Norwich City, uh, no shot competing in outfits like that. Um, no, great. So Arsenal probably, so Arsenal really did screw themselves by losing at Saudi castle. So that really was a house of horrors match to where it was like, yes, we're better than these guys, but we're not as better than as we were probably at the start of the year. And uh, sound like the game got away from them, right? They scored once and then they scored a second time really late. Like that was a kind of, Hey, if you're tough, you go and win this type of deal. And they just weren't up to it. Yeah. I mean, I watched it on Tuesday. It was just ass beating or Monday or Tuesday, whenever that was, uh, they just were not up for it at all. And then that's not even including the fact that uh, they lost 3-0 to Tottenham last Saturday. So, like, they had – Arsenal had ample opportunities to kind of lock down that spot. They got their ass kicked at Tottenham on, on last Thursday. And then on Monday, they got their ass kicked again um, to Saudi Castle after rolling off, like, four straight wins. So they were on the high of highs and then had just had a just a fall crash choke towards the end. I'm looking forward to this final uh, these final day of matches. The odds of me watching a ton of it are probably pretty slim, but I look forward to reading the Brits tweets. They get real creative with the insults. They're very angry. Um, we talked about they, the they have like a um, they usually do. I don't know if they're going to do it, but they they play every game on a NBC affiliated channel. So it's kind of like the NCAA tournament. Ooh. Like they have every game on like NBC, NBC Sports, USA, uh, and all, all of those. And then I think they even have some sort of uh, kind of like a soccer red zone. Yeah, I was about to ask that, like a pitch zone type of deal. I don't know what you'd call that. They have uh, a pretty nice – they have a pretty impressive setup. I think it's all on like NBC Sports app and Peacock that they do. It's, it's pretty exciting. I might have to tune in on Sunday morning then. I don't think there's any F1 on. I won't have much going on. I do have Peacock. Yeah. I might have to uh, – what do we got? Yeah, PGA. That doesn't really start until later when it matters. That's true. That could be a nice little lead-in. I will have no idea what I'm watching, but it's been nice to turn on. <laughs> I've turned on a couple of Brentford games through the year. I mean, throughout the last couple months. Um, All right, I guess before we get out of here, what do we have anything else to hit? Nothing's really gone on – football we hit baseball <laughs> uh oh the baseball team how about that turning it around are you talking major league or are we talking college talking college you shit on lsu that they, had to be nice they took a dump on lsu this weekend although you admit almost like Rouge one time and we did have a couple of message board posters that just cannot get past that they cannot believe an lsu fan in infiltrated the Ole Miss football program for a couple <laughs> of years that has just blown their minds but that had to feel nice you want to get them, You want to get the board really mad at me? It's almost like a really good baseball coach finally figured out his team, and now they're playing really well. I like it. <laughs> there is some truth to that. The problem is, is the guy. Now it might have been late. It might have been late. He might have figured out the rotation late and a few lineup things late. But it's almost like the guy doing it for twenty-two years like knows what he's doing. Yes, and he always figures out the pitching. But the, the part that sucks is like. Literally, as bad as that was, if they had won one of those games, one of those games they squandered away and they're 14 and 13, they would actually have a decent chance to host now. Absolutely. Like a miracle one. Like, that's what's so crazy about this sport. If they were literally just 14 and 13 versus 13 and 14, it'd be like, okay, take two, go win in Hoover and host. 
but man, seven and fourteen. Oh, it's no, I, it's not bad. Look, I, I'm not. I don't not. I do not have the scars of the typical Ole Miss fans with Bianco of all the super regionals of missing it. Well, you tried to get him to go coach LSU. You had a big hand in that. No, yeah, I tried my best. Um, I think they would have been real. He would have done a really good job there, just like I'm sure Jay Johnson will. It's pretty easy. Um, but I, my my thought always is is my years of going to Ole Miss and then working for him after and then cheering for this baseball team is they're always, with the exception, maybe of like one year and fifteen, they're always good. Yep, they really are always good. Yes, they have not gotten to Omaha enough. I get it. This is at some point the grass is not always greener. I don't think this is even a hot take. If you don't think you can get like a lot better of a coach, you're going to really be disappointed whenever you're actually not good every year and you've invested all this money and you end up with what, I mean, like, let's say they went and hired Auburn's coach or I mean, who else is like kind of in that range or I know the Cliff Godwin guy used you, ECU as an old Miss guy, or someone that like is no guarantee to be better than Mike Bianco. And all of a sudden, you're like a uh, you you start on that South Carolina trend, and then yeah, no then one turned into Alabama in your program. And then you're like, man, it was pretty nice when we were just relevant every single year, no matter what. So I, I mean, I'm not a huge baseball guy. I know you are, but I've always kind of been a little weary of let's just run this guy out of town whenever we're like good every year it's one of <laughs> in, those a non, in a non-revenue sport yes no it's one of the most fascinating dynamics good every I've ever year. covered like professionally because i get what you're like i was on your like the what the argument you just made i was always all like lean towards that train i would say i've come toward the middle of i get both sides because of the last two years so oh, like, I totally get both sides. Yeah, because it's like, at what point do you, like, are you hoping to make a return trip in year 27? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how, at what point does it matter to get to the World Series? But you're right. His team never sucked. He's only missed the NCAA tournament twice. He missed it in 2011, and he missed it in... I think it was like 15 or 17. 16. It was great in them's first year. 15 okay, yeah. sucked, but they, they were a plucky three seed out at UCLA. That was like Errol's second year. Um, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. But like you're you're right. They do need to get the hire right. I think it's McDonald at Louisville. I think Butch Thompson at Auburn. I think those two I would consider those slam dunks. But you're right. If you don't get one of those two, it kind of teeters off into You do consider the Auburn guy a slam dunk? I think he does a really good job because he's made Auburn nationally relevant. A hard job. With no benefits. Um I'm not yeah, saying it's a guarantee. And he's from Amory, Mississippi, and he recruits the state of Mississippi well. Which doesn't matter because you don't have the scholarship limits. That is true. That is true, but now issues, right? So, but now if they're if whatever happens, like I'm also looking at this from the future, right? Because there's a world where the 11.7 is no longer the 11.7 with NIL anymore, right? So, like, how does that help you with in-state kids and things like that? The way Mike Bianco's worked the scholarship thing is amazing to me. The fact that he signed a number one cast in the country in 17 with 11.7 scholarships is insane, right? Don't they do? How how they do it? They he kind of loads up like every three or four years. Pretty much, Basically, you have a big money yeah. year, couple. Yeah, I mean that's kind of yeah. Every two three, it's kind of how they have to do it. I don't know. It's it's fascinating. I do think you have to be wary of falling into irrelevancy. I think Butch would be a slam dunk in that slam dunk category. There's no certainties in this sport. I think when you get the Godwin and go below there, it's kind of like, well, you better hope this works out. So. I'm uh I'm fascinated by it. Do you have any Saints takes? I figure that's the last thing we need to cover. There's no – what do you think of the draft? They got Jameis. 
Drew Brees throwing his name back in the mix to come back and play quarterback. I didn't really buy into that. I think he was being no, suspicious. He, but, uh, I, he, he was joking. I think they've already squashed that. Um, Saints. Uh, they paid a lot to get Chris Olave, like a lot when you look at it. They traded with the Eagles and then traded up again. Um, they have earned the complete benefit of the doubt on the way they draft. So you address two needs. You need a wide receiver and you needed an offensive tackle. You got both of those. Um, you signed Jarvis and Tyron that's uh, addressing two other needs. Uh, this season just completely comes down to two things, which is are they going to be healthier than last year, which is like virtually a certainty. You cannot be more unhealthy than they were last year. And is Jameis a guy that can, you know, swim at average, maybe even excel to a top 12 quarterback in the league? If he is a top 12 quarterback in the league, you're definitely making the playoffs. Do I think they can win the Super Bowl? I think that's a stretch. The NFC sucks, though. So I think that, you know, it's is it beyond me to think that they could go on a crazy run and make it there? Yeah, sure. I mean, they all you have to beat is what? Green Bay? I mean, San Francisco, you know, they're pretty good. But I think Trey Lance is like a ghost. No one even knows if he exists. I mean, they, that's who they're riding on. And there's a few other teams like Dallas. You know, they suck. They choke every year. Um, Tampa, obviously the guy in your division, but you've basically owned him except for one game. So I, the whole idea that this run for the Saints is over and they're like, you know, supposed to – they're like a plus 600 to win the division and plus 4,000 to win the Super Bowl is crazy to me. I think they're still a, a probably a top 15 team in the league, especially on defense. Right, because they were a miracle Niners drive away in the regular season from making the playoffs this past year with the absurd amount of injuries. Four quarterbacks and a tight end playing quarterback to end the season. I mean, it's insane what they were able to do. It really is. Oh, I got you. Last thing. Does Matt Krause start a game against the New Orleans Saints this year? Oh, God. Definitely not the first one. Okay. Unless Sam Darnold gets hurt. They play in week three. Yeah, that seems a little early. Second. I, would say, I would say no way. The only way that happens is it's one of two things. Darnold dies <laughs> or Matt Corral is like pulls a Russell Wilson in, uh, in mini camp and it's like we can't not play this guy. Um, in the second one, I, depending on when that is, if it's like in the middle of the season, I think it's definitely possible if at the end of the season – uh, is definitely more likely because they're like, okay, if they're in the season, they're supposed to be terrible. Kind of see what you got there. Um, I mean, he definitely went to the place that gives him the best opportunity to possibly play this year out of literally any team in the league. Um, I have not seen any reports on how he's done so far. But I don't think there's been much to report. Um, the rookie camp stuff, it's not like you're winning or losing your your job there, especially when you're a third-round pick. I mean, they're, you're you're getting to fall camp. The thing I worry with him is if they can rule and he has more instability, I think he would a guy that, I mean, obviously everyone benefits from stability, but I think he particularly would benefit from having stability his first couple of years in the league. Um, but that, that, that's two different things though, because even if they fire rule, then you bring in the new coach. It's like, well, I've seen Sam Darnold, like what's everyone gets a fresh start from here. So that could be an advantage if he, t- if he takes advantage of it, of course, because there's no guarantee that he does. Um, but yeah, I think he's got a shot. I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. This has been an extended soccer corner. Weldon coming in for the people. We will uh, we'll holler at you again sometime this summer. Hell, before we know it, dude, we're going to be doing a uh, 
fall. I, I'm not going to stop calling it fall camp, training camp, um, preseason camp podcast. We'll be here before you know it. Yep, absolutely. Appreciate it. All right, that is our show. Hope you enjoyed us talking shop on the beautiful game. Hope you understood that in-depth analysis um, and it wasn't uh, too complicated to understand uh, the intricacies of the beautiful game. So thanks for tuning into this podcast. We'll catch you on probably no Friday podcast because of the baseball series. So Colin and I will catch you on Sunday. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. You guys have a wonderful end of your week and weekend.